Please welcome to the stage, Pure Romance founder and chairwoman, Patty Brisbane. And welcome the medical advisory board members of the Patty Brisbane Foundation, Dr. Michael Crickman, Kathleen Novicki, Dr. Christine Vaccaro, and Dr. Cheryl Slacia. Exciting. And thank you girls for getting up bright and early. I know you partied like rock stars last night. But I also know one thing about each and every one of you, that your business matters. Your clients matter. And you want to be there to support them and help them through whatever it is that they're going through. And so what better way to spend our morning than with this wonderful, esteemed, self, wonderful, wonderful doctors. So we're going to start with um, Dr. Critchman. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what you do on a daily basis. So I'm <clears throat> Dr. Michael Critchman. I am a sexual medicine gynecologist. So I get, I'm lucky because I get to talk about sex all day, every day. And just like that's gonna become part of what you do, I think it's really important to recognize that there's a lot of people suffering, suffering in silence. So I have four clinical offices. I see women with insurance, no insurance, all backgrounds, all ethnic diversities, uh, with illness, with chronic conditions, as we'll talk about later. And I'm also a sex therapist, so I really recognize that the mind-body connection is super important. Uh, and what I do day to day, I'm seeing patients, I am working on research, and that's why you know the PBF is so wonderful that we get to do a lot of things to change women's lives on a daily basis. Um, I'm also the uh, father of twins, and we'll talk about that when we talk about libido. And what are the big buzzkills for libido? There we go. Stay tuned, everybody. Good morning, ladies. My name is Dr. Christine Vicar, and it's such a pleasure to be here. I love the energy in the room and the, the music this morning, and it's just it's so fun, and I'm um, just really honored uh, to be here. Um, I'm a, a double board certified um, obstetrician gynecologist and female pelvic medicine reconstructive surgeon. That's also called urogynecology for short. Um, and I'm a fellowship director and associate professor in Bethesda, Maryland. And I'm going to keep it short because <laughs> um, so we can get to the questions. So, so nice to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you're both. I'm glad everybody's here. I'm so excited. Can you tell? I'm excited. Well, I'm a, a pure romance virgin. <laughs> this is my first time. And it's so great to be here with a lot of other um, new person, new. There's a lot of new partners setting up here So today. I'm new like you. So I'm, my name is Sherelle Iglesia. I am Filipino American. I'm a female surgeon who practices in Washington, DC. And I operate on women and I talk to a lot of women and 
I just want to be here to answer your questions and to impart some knowledge so that we can spread the word about sex positivity. So, Thank you. happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm Kathleen Novicki. I had the pleasure of um, being here at the last um, national training and I came out of there and I was so excited. You guys have amazing energy. Um, and so when I was invited back to do this again, I was elated. Um, I'm a doctor of physical therapy and board certified in pelvic health rehabilitation. Um, I've been at this about 30 years. Um, and every day, still, I have women that have no idea what pelvic health physical therapy is. Um, so I joined the Petty Brisbane Foundation with the hope that I could educate as many women as possible on the value of pelvic health physical therapy and a multidisciplinary support um, for women with sexual health. Thanks for being here. <laughs> oh, come on, girls, you could do better. <laughs> That's exactly how I'm feeling about every single one of these doctors sitting on this stage. I am so honored that they're here to help us help others. But we're gonna start right now with Dr. Critchman. Here's the first question going out. I, I wanna start talking today about the mind and body connection. What are the psychological issues that influence libido? Well, Patty, you know, I think it's a great start to talk about libido because um, you know, I always say, look to your right, look to your left. Um, one of you has low libido. And remember, somebody is looking at you. So it is probably the most common issue that you will see when you start having parties, talking to other women as well. And that's really the ideal when it comes to this mind-body connection. So let's talk about the biology. Um, you know, there's a lot of variables. It's like kind of putting gas in the tank. You need hormones, you need anatomy, you need um, a variety of different things in order to function. And, you know, we now know a lot of really important stuff about hormones and testosterone and estrogen as well. And I was super excited when I was here yesterday walking around and I saw this testosterone boost. And this is going to be probably your number one seller. Um, <laughs> testosterone known to influence and impact desire and your underlying issues in terms of want, need, uh, interest, fantasies, and what have you. So you got to put, put gas in the tank but you also have to have some motivation to pick up those keys and go for a drive, right? And what about those psychological issues, right? We know stress, fatigue, uh, COVID, uh, isolation, pandemic, that really is impactful. You know, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And I say, no matter how wonderful your house is, four walls can be really confining when you're there day in and day out. Um, Let's not forget about kids, right? And the responsibilities that they uh, need. And I always say, did I say kids? I usually say that twice because <laughs> I have twins, right? And that's a buzzkill in and of itself. So I think it's really important to recognize that. And how does, what about self-care? And how does that influence libido? Well, I think it's really important because women deprioritize their own sexuality, their own sexual health. 
very often they're influenced by their partners and they are kind of vilified and saying like, you should have what I want, you should have the same libido. So it's, a, it's important to recognize that libido waxes, it wanes, it's better at some times, it gets worse, but when is it time to see a clinician or when is it time to get some help? Um, and I, I get asked that question all the time and I think it's a matter of the amount of distress that you're getting. So how troubled are you and really you? So very often I have women that come in and, you know, Patty, they say to me, you know, my partner sent me here because I have low libido. And I, my first question is, well, how do you feel? And she's like, I feel great. I'm doing wonderfully. And I said, well, I don't think you have a libido problem. Maybe we need to address the relationship mismatch. So it's very important to understand your own needs, your own wants, your own desires by yourself. And then if a partner is there, great. If not, it's also great as well. So, you know, libido is going to be one of the things that you're going to talk about, and you have a lot of tools in your war chest to really help women help themselves, help their relationships as well. So don't forget testosterone. It's super important, just like biology. So everybody needs a little bit of a tune-up and needs to see a clinician, but we also have to work on our brain, decrease our stress, stay focused, and really understand ourselves in order to have a great libido and move forward. That's a great answer. And you know, when you go in to speak with your doctor, if he's ignoring and not asking the right questions, I think all of you would agree it's time to find somebody else. Divorce Absolutely. him or her. Yep. Absolutely. So and you can divorce your doctor. You can divorce Ab your, yeah. your doctor. Yeah. I've done that too. <laughs> anyway. A couple of men, a couple of doctors. <laughs> a couple of men, a couple of doctors. You know, move on, move yeah. on. Make yourself happy, right? All right, Dr. Vaccaro, can you help us understand the biology of sexual arousal and the response? I, I love this question. And to play off of Dr. Critchman, um, you see three sexual response models here. I'm going to get into that in just a bit. But first, I think. It's nicer to define the mind-body connection a little bit more. So obviously the mind is the brain, right? That's, some people say that's the actual ultimate sex organ um, uh, because it controls everything else. And then obviously the body, right? Our genital structures that the brain has to signal, hey, this is, this is good stuff going on here. And then the connection, which is the nerves and the messengers, um, like testosterone is a messenger and other neurotransmitters are messengers that the brain sends to signal. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, the mind-body connection. And all of those things have to be working correctly for, for arousal to, to kick in. Um, and again, Dr. Critchman gave a great explanation of, of libido. And then I just want to mention the idea of, of context. Um, so you can have all those things working, and things still aren't working well because of context. So you picture yourself on vacation with your partner, no kids, um, things are great, right? No worries. And then picture 12 weeks after giving birth, a little flabby, not sleeping. Okay, your partner comes to you and you're just like, no, thank you very much. Things are still, there's things that are working, but sometimes context also needs to be um, something to consider. Um, and then I just want to also mention the idea of um, turning off your frontal lobe, which is your thinking part of your brain. And a lot of times women 
during a sexual encounter are thinking about so many different things. I gotta make lunch for my kid, I gotta finish the laundry, I gotta do the, send this email, and it's hard sometimes to turn off that thinking brain and turn on the instinctual, animalistic, um, I'm getting a reward part of your brain, which is the midbrain. So that's also something that we'll talk about later as far as mindfulness, and I have a little exercise that we'll do for that. Um, and then I do want to describe just a little bit my favorite organ, the clitoris. Okay, um, this, this little very intricate and very compact organ has so many cool facts, okay? I like to think about it like a, a smaller version of the penis, just a little bit more hidden, okay? A little bit more intricate. Um, and it's actually about nine centimeters from glands all the way to the tip of the crura, which are the legs. Um, and it can swell up to 300% during arousal, which is really cool. Um, so it's quite a fascinating organ, and medical professionals um, don't actually know a lot about it. So you probably now know more than most medical professionals um, when asked. So yay for you. Um, <laughs> Um, and then I just, my other fun fact about the clitoris is it's only, the only purpose of the clitoris is sexual pleasure, right? So, you know, a male penis, it's used for urination and, um, you know, for intercourse as far as fertilization, but the clitoris, literally only one purpose, pleasure. So just remember that when you're talking to um, all the ladies at your parties. Um, and I do want to just put a plug in for the Sexual Anatomy 101 resources that are on the PBF site that have more detailed um, information about the clitoris. Okay, so now that we know all the ingredients, let me get to these um, sexual response cycles. So I think some people are familiar with the Masters and Johnson um, model, which is kind of the, the old school 1950s model, and that's the first one on the left. Um, and you can see on the top the male um, sexual response, which Typically, you know, excitement, plateau, orgasm, and then they have to have a refractory period um, before they can try to orgasm again. On the lower um, section there, the Masters and Johnson, are three different um, scenarios for women. Um, and I don't know how well you can see A, but A is a multi-orgasmic woman, okay? They don't need a refractory period. Um, B is a woman that, that has some excitement but plateaus without reaching orgasm, which Another fact, 11% of women have lifetime anorgasmia, so never, ever figure out how to orgasm, which again, if it was a male problem, would be really big news. <laughs> um, and then C is a woman that has a really quick um, excitatory phase and climaxes very rapidly. So <clears throat> these, this model, though, doesn't explain all things, so another doctor, um, Dr. Kaplan modified the model, so that's the middle model, and she thought it was important to start with desire first, whereas the Masters and Johnson did not start with desire, um, and then lead to excitement, which is arousal, and then orgasm. And the, you'll see that the, um, the resolution phase she thought was not important and not listed. But still, that didn't quite describe it all, so another doctor, Dr. Rosemary Besson, decided that we needed a more circular model because as you probably know, a lot of women are motivated by sex through lots of different things. Connectivity, pleasing their partner. Sometimes it starts with desire, but sometimes, and Dr. Critchman loves to talk about this, is reactive desire, where your partner advances, things start to feel good, and then you actually want to have sex, versus 
the drive for sex starts and then you engage your partner. So a lot of times it's, um, it can, desire can happen first or arousal and then desire. So this idea of a circular model is really important. Um, and then a really cool um, research article in the Journal of Sexual Medicine showed, looking at over 100 nurses, which model they felt best fit them. And a third, a third, a third picked each one of these. So what it just says is every woman's different. It's a very personal um, response, the arousal response. And, and that's OK. You just have to find out what, what works for each woman. Um, so that's, that's the sexual response. Hopefully that wasn't too much information. But just know it's individual, it's personal, and um, every woman has to figure out what works for them. Okay. I think that's wonderful, but girls, be on the lookout for the woman who never experienced an orgasm and make sure she gets a clitoral stimulator. But that's, so. I mean, I agree, Patty, because, yeah. you know, as you get older, and I can say this because I'm middle-aged <laughs> and in menopause, it, it's, don't be embarrassed if it's going to take some extra uh, imagination and some devices because right. I want to be the woman with the double <laughs> orgasm you know Why? I wouldn't you like yes. short so you know and you might need some more things to enhance the blood flow and if your partner's not so good with foreplay there are things that you can do Mm -hmm. You hear yeah. that? Yeah. It's okay, right? You it's have to okay. Give them permission. We give right. permission to um, explore. Yeah. yeah. So remember, that's what you're doing every single day out there is you're giving permission. So continue to do just that. <laughs> that was great. So, Dr. Iglesia, many uh, different urological conditions can impact desire, arousal, and orgasm. Yeah. We often hear that women with incontinence shy away from sex. Okay. okay, but first of all, remember, we got a lot of new yeah. partners out here. Right. So that, what is incontinence first? Okay, mm. ladies and the few gents out there, the kind of incontinence leading to accidental bladder leakage is not the golden shower that you want in the bathroom. <laughs> there may be a different type of golden shower, but honestly, urinary incontinence and what else? But, uh, what Christine and I do for a pelvic organ prolapse is very common. Um, by the time a woman is 80 years old, 50% of women will have some type of um, pelvic floor disorder, whether it be their bladder dropping or there's leakage, accidental leakage of urine or accidental leakage of bowel. So it's very common and it's a reason why people shy away. Uh, it's a reason why people um, don't even engage in other social activities. And I think when you're going out and speaking to a lot of women, because we're looking at 50% of the population and 11% are getting surgery from people like, it's important to understand that that may be in the back of their mind. They're worried about the odor. They're having to wear pads. They all wear black now because you want to wear white. Um, they, they're going to the bathroom, hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just empty my bladder uh, before you uh, go down <laughs> there. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand that this is not a normal part of aging. And for um, women, and the biggest culprit for this is childbirth, and that's a separate question I guess we can talk about later. There are really, this is treatable. In fact, it's reversible in 85% of, of, of conditions. So you need to go to the right specialist to get the right diagnosis. And let's talk uh, urinary incontinence. You can have 
uh, different types. One is the gotta go, gotta go, can't make it to the bathroom on time. The other is leakage with laugh, cough, and sneeze. That's called stress incontinence. But most people have a mixture of both. So what can we do for this? I mean, you know, here we are, COVID and the COVID-19. Honestly, weight loss is something. It's, uh, we know that if you drop like 10% of your body mass index, you can decrease leakage by 50%. So obviously we talk about some of the um, behavioral things that we can do, managing fluids, like not too much alcohol and not too much um, caffeine, which cause a lot of urgency. But then we go into different medications, um, devices. We've got support devices. We've got um, fillers, uh, injections, and Botox for the bladder. Um, and then we have surgery. And many of you may have people who've had surgery, and they had a great um, um, uh, response to surgery, and others may have had a complication. And for sure, when you have a complication after surgery, you should see a specialist. But um, mesh has gotten a lot of bad rap, and I honestly feel that maybe there were too many people doing it and not the right patients, maybe not the right training. But if you are going to think about surgery, I, I truly believe you should see a specialist. And it's just with any type of surgery, whether you get a hysterectomy or whatever, go to somebody who does a lot because we know that volume matters and you want to go to high volume places and get the right kind of evaluations. But it really shouldn't be holding you back in the bedroom. And I want you to talk to women about that because so many, I mean, by the time you're 40, it's 25% of American women. You know, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do and I want people to feel confident. So I like you, Patty. I, the secret is you, I love this book <laughs> and I love how you're helping a lot of women, but you're doing it, you know, not to sell a product, but you're doing it for the right reason. For, that, for you guys to educate all the women who are embarrassed by these kinds of things. <laughs> to me, I mean, Dr. Ruth was one thing, and Dr. Ruth did a lot of talking about sex. You're actually walking the walk, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> but what I love yeah. is this army of women who yes. are doing the same thing. They're out there, they, they just don't want to go out and sell a product. They want to make sure that they're holding women and lifting them up and empowering them to find the right doctors and the right cures. And I appreciate every single one of you that go out there every day and you share the message. So and that means it, a lot. And if, if your sixth sense is telling you it's not right, then get a second opinion, you know. Or contact the, you know, what, the resources that they, they have here with the Patty Brisbane Foundation. You know, finding the For right doctor. balance is really, really important because if you look, sometimes people want to, you know, not spend the money, you know, and they, you, you, you don't want to end up unblotched. So make I sure know. that you encourage, if you're helping that woman, that you're I encouraging know. her to find that doctor that does a large amount of those surgeries and not somebody that says, I don't even know, I'm going to do yeah. it today. <laughs> I see stuff all the time and I feel like people are being duped, like laser vaginal rejuvenation. I had a woman whose literally bladder was like halfway down her legs, and she paid like $2,000 for a urology mm. practice in Northern Virginia to do this, which was never gonna help, yeah. and in my, in my humble opinion, rather unethical. But you know, the bottom line is you guys are educating, and you're talking, and women talk, sister to sister. They do. Mother, sister, daughter, friend. 
it's an opportunity for us to share and, and, and be legitimate. That's important. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're welcome. Dr. Navicki, can you explain the mind-body connection in terms of the pelvic floor? Yes. Um, well, when we think of the pelvic floor, we're thinking more of the physical. Um, the muscles, the ligaments, the nerves, um, but the mind drives the physical, the physical drives the mind. Um, I think we might all have a better understanding of the mind-body connection with physical performance um, with what happened with Simone Biles at the Olympics. Um, you know, that mind-body connection became altered and because of her complexity of her um, gymnastic moves, um, it was essentially dangerous for her to continue to do what she was trying to do. Um, in the same sort of mind-body connection we want from sexual health. We want it to be a smooth connection, an automatic connection, um, something that doesn't um, interfere with um, the arousal and the, um, the physical activity of, the, of sexual um, health. Um, when it's associated with something negative, um, incontinence or pain, that mind-body connection can be disrupted. Um, so um, when you see a pelvic health physical therapist, we'll take a look at the, the physical aspect and have you try to um, get control over that part um, and then combine with the um, sexual therapist or your um, medical provider. Um, reconnect that mind-body. Um, the one thing about the pelvic floor that's a little bit more um, unusual than other parts of our body is that you can't see it. Um, you know, if, you, um, if I told you I want you to contract your biceps, and I said, and you do that by bending your arm, well, you can see that you just did it. Well, if I tell you to contract your pelvic floor right now, you may think you're doing it, but how do you know? Even if you put a mirror there, you may not be able to see anything happen. Um, so as um, um, one of the things that we do is we utilize different techniques to improve that ability to find that pelvic floor so that it basically it does what you want it to do. Um, one of the things that we utilize um, is biofeedback. Um, and essentially that is just using your own body senses to become aware of um, what your body is doing. Um, um, it can be as elaborate as um, a unit that has sensors that we can place externally on the pelvic floor, or you can have an intravaginal or an intraanal sensor, but it's hooked up to a computer or even a smartphone these days. <laughs> and it shows you a picture of what your pelvic floor is doing. It could be as simple as a bar graph or a line or as elaborate as a um, flower blossoming. Um, but by seeing that picture, you actually get the idea of, oh, when I do this, my, my pelvic floor contracts. When I do this, it relaxes. Um, but we can use other things, too. I had a patient that um, came to me and she said, well, I have these um, exerciser balls, <laughs> pure romance exercise balls. Um, yeah. <laughs> And um, she goes, you know, can I use these? And she was having a really hard time understanding how to let go of her pelvic floor muscles. Um, and I said, well, bring them in. And um, so all we had to do is place it just on the outside of the vagina, but it gave her a, enough sensory awareness 
that when I said, okay, I want you to just imagine that your pelvic floor or that area that you feel down there is melting over that ball. And she was able to do it. Um, and the whole idea with that is that we start out where you actually ha have a plan to like, I am doing this almost like a, a drill, but then eventually you're doing it and you're not even thinking about it anymore. Um, no different than the athlete that has to do the drills in order to be able to um, rehabilitate after a knee injury, but eventually they're in the game and they're not thinking about their knee anymore. It's the exact same thing with the pelvic floor. Um, so, um, you know, the whole idea with the mind-body connection with, with um, the pelvic floor is being able to have the response that you would like to have. We utilize um, techniques that give you the control or the power to be able to um, control that muscle to eventually have it become automatic. Thank you. The neck. The neck. <laughs> yes. Okay, you like it, you clap. <laughs> One of the things that I think we need to discuss more is the relationship between sexual health problems, mental health, and well-being. The mind and the body are not separate. Thoughts, emotions, hormones, and sexual anatomy uh, all interact. For example, cancer treatment has a profound lasting effect on a person's body, mind, and spirit leading many survivors to struggle with the aftermath of the treatment. Dr. Critchman, you often talk about sexual self-esteem as a cancer survivor. Um, can you explain the sexual self-esteem, what it is, and how we can improve on it? Yeah, Patty, you know, I, I want to kind of back up a little bit and kind of give a, a little bit of a background about cancer and how it's so impactful on so many levels. Um, you know, really we divide it up into several phases. One is like the echo. When you're sitting across from this clinician and you're told that you have cancer and then this whole treatment paradigm is outlined. And then you kind of go into a task phase where you have lots of clinicians who take over control, lots of papers to sign still, even with electronic medical records. You're going through chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, medication, and it's a complete loss of control. You are turning yourself over to experts to really treat your condition. And then, remember, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, in the chemo unit, when you were done, they used to throw you a party and say you're a survivor, but nobody gave you that plan of what it is to be a cancer survivor. And um, for those of you that uh, may know or not know, I spent you know, a decade of my life at Sloan Kettering where I was running this survivorship center, which is, was really avant-garde before it became something of importance, is really living with cancer. So what is survivorship? It's really about prevention and about wellness. And that includes the mind-body experience. So, you know, with chemotherapy, you have major changes. You're actually putting in really strong, powerful drugs into your body. They uh, are killing the cancer cells, but they also kill regular cells as well. Um, hair loss, menopause. I know Christine's going to talk a lot about hot flashes. Um, you know, vaginal dryness. All these new changes that are happening to your body, your hormones, your mood, your relationship. Uh, you have radiation. 
and you have radiation changes. Imagine if you can't even put your arm around somebody because your arm is so tight with you know, scar tissue or what have you. And surgery, of course, changes the way you um, have your genitals. They may be removed. You may have a breast removed. Or even if you have a different type of cancer, having a scar will influence how you feel about yourself. So sexual self-esteem really is about how you view yourself as a sexual person. And I think the most important thing to remember is I'm going to give everybody in the room a little job to do when they get home, either tonight at, at the hotel room or, or tomorrow when you get back. Um, stand in front of the mirror completely naked completely naked and it's not after a shower it's not after or before getting dressed and just really look at yourself and remember that things change irrespective of illness irrespective you know age we all get different in terms of our anatomy and what have you and really look at yourself and really embrace who you are when you are uh, experiencing that and that is really everybody's expression of sexuality and and sexual self-esteem is is really the same and very different at different times of your life so it's okay to sometimes want to do some self-improvement it's okay to embrace who you are as a sexual being i want to i want to ask everybody how many of you through covid have had this renovation bug and they've done renovation so i want to tell you a little bit story of what happened with me when it did a renovation. So we were just, just gonna renovate the kitchen and just change the appliances, right? So we just changed the appliances and then kind of the countertops didn't look great. So we just had to do that. And then the sink didn't fit, so it was okay. And then, you know, and then there was just a window and how about we just make the window into a, into a door, but it was leading nowhere. So we had to just build the patio. And, you know, cancer is the justice syndrome. That's what I'm trying to get to you, the justice syndrome. Clinicians say, well, we'll just take off your breast and we'll just take off the other breast and let's just remove the ovaries and let's just keep you on medicine that's gonna make your vagina super dry and make your bones brittle, not just for five years, but for 10. So remember that there are a lot of options. There's a lot of new avant-garde therapies. There's also this concept about surveillance and watching. Um, so as we've said here, I know uh, the PBF, you all should have that pamphlet about how to find a clinician and build a healthcare team. I always say sometimes in sexual medicine, um, there's two things that may be the best treatment. One is a partnerectomy, right? So one is, um, you know, it's a situation, and be empowered to change that. And one is also a doctorectomy. And, um, you know, if your needs are not being met, or you're not being heard, or you're not being validated, or you're not having time to ask questions, it's time to start looking for, for new uh, healthcare uh, providers and build a team of people who will listen because as you can see here we're from across the country there are dedicated clinicians like ourselves who are there committed to sexual health and wellness for women at different stages of their life so it's really important and the last thing to remember is cancer used to be the c word that was whispered in the back hallway and it was an embarrassment 
and remember that you know cancer now should be looked upon as a chronic medical condition. It's something you're going to live with for a very long time. And we kind of move away from the term of survivorship and call it you're a thriver because quality of life is super important. And when you speak to cancer patients, sexual health is the number one issue of maintaining that humanness and connectivity to patients. So, you know, many of your uh, clients will have cancer. There is um, a lot of things in our, our war chest that we can help them. But again, be empowering to women to get help and not suffer in silence. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Well said. All right, we're gonna talk about a subject that every single woman in this room cannot run away from. And uh, so we're gonna talk a little bit about menopause and how it affects our mental health and what options are out there to help us through this life-changing, forever-changing things that happen to our body that we just hate. Dr. Vaccaro? We're going to start with you. I think Patty's um, facial expression summed it up. It's basically how I felt in medical school when I learned about menopause. It was uh, utter dread. It was like, oh, I don't ever want that to happen. Um, But hopefully um, through this, I can give you some tips for a smooth transition and or other ways to manage symptoms and and talk to your clients about how to manage their symptoms. Um, There's lots of behavior things that we can do. There's lots of... um, hormonal and non-hormonal medication. But just quickly, the definition um, for natural menopause, and that's what I'm just gonna talk about today, just natural menopause, which is the most common. Um, it's, a, it's a slow decline in estrogen, and it's 12 months without a period. So usually the average age is around 51, 50 to 51. Um, some women have it a little bit younger, some a little bit older, but that's the average. And then the, the symptoms, um, hot flashes, night sweats, um, brain fog, um, irritability, um, just a sense of not being well. Um, (laughs) um, That actually can start uh, seven years before menopause. So you can start, which is actually where I am. Um, You could actually start getting those symptoms at that point. So it can be a long long transition through (laughs) menopause and then linger as well. Let me also tell you about the importance of estrogen. So estrogen protects our blood vessels. It helps them dilate and it helps them stay really um, pliable, meaning stretchy. And that's important for our genital organs too and our brain. So estrogen is a really important hormone that when our ovaries that make the estrogen start making less and less and less, we have not as much in the body. And that's when we start getting all these really annoying symptoms. Um, so I'm going to go through just, you know, all the things that we can do to help with all these, what is called vasomotor symptoms. That's a really kind of fancy word to mean vaso for vessels, your blood vessels, um, and then how your body reacts to the changes in the blood vessels. And by the way, the hot flashes, why that happens is this change in the, in the brain's Um, regulation of your temperature. So you feel sometimes like really, really hot and then sometimes really, really cold and you can't quite get the right layering or the right temperature in your house or in your car or whatever. And it's really extremely frustrating. Um, Some women break out completely in sweats and have to change their clothing um, and that would be on the more severe spectrum. There are some women that have very mild symptoms, you know, 
and I hope that's some of you, but they kind of kind of go through it and like, oh, that was no big deal. Good for you, that's not the majority, but hopefully that, that is uh, some of you in the crowd. Um, but other things that can happen are diminished sleep quality. So if you're up all night tossing the covers on, off, and you're sweating and you're changing your clothes, it really influences sleep, which is our biggest health benefit, which I'll talk about a little bit later, how important sleep is. But that throwing off your sleep really is going to disrupt your entire well-being. Um, all right, so into what we can do. So behavioral changes, these are just simple things that you can even talk to your clients about. Um, and again, this is different layers of clothing so they can quickly take off and, and add on. Um, having fans, making the, the house cool, making the bedroom really cold, you know, like 60 degrees. Um, so you can always put on more, but you can always take off covers if needed. Um, Exercise is really important, okay? Again, that helps the blood vessels maintain that stretchability. It's also good for your, for your mental well-being to get out and exercise. And then, you know, things that are very difficult, I feel like these days, maintaining a normal weight and being careful what you eat and drink. So alcohol makes you more apt to have hot flashes. Spicy foods, caffeine, things that we really like, um, unfortunately, make hot flashes much worse. So just sometimes knowing what the trigger is for you is really important. When you always, you know, drink the Starbucks latte that we all like and then all of a sudden have a huge hot flash, you know, then you have to just weigh the risks and benefits of, of those decisions. Um, and then not, not smoking, which also has a myriad of health benefits. So don't start smoking when you're trying to uh, get through the stress of menopause. And then talking to each other, you know, having a support group. When you're having your parties, talking about symptoms that other women are having, normalizing the issue, because it is normal and everyone goes through it, and you should talk about it, because it's helpful to get other tips um, from other women and, and normalize the condition and share what's working for you. Um, other things that have been looked at, acupuncture, meditation, there's some evidence that those um, also help, um, as well as engaging your, of course, your medical team. Um, and that doesn't just include a physician, but also behavioral health specialists that can help um, you get through the frustration of all the symptoms and how they're influencing not just your overall well-being, but also your sexual well-being. Because um, sexual health, as far as like vaginal dryness, is a real common symptom of menopause as well. So I'm a pretty simple person. I like to just think things simply. So this whole idea of keep it simple, stupid. So if I had a if I had a car and my tire pressure was low, I would want to put more air in my tire to make my car run. And I think of that as far as menopause and estrogen. So when estrogen levels drop really low, we know from um, studies that replacing estrogen is one of the best treatments that we have. Not all women are eligible for estrogen, like you know, a lot of Dr. Critchman's patients that have um, estrogen-dependent cancers are not going to be eligible. However, hormone therapy is the gold standard for relief of all the irritating and annoying symptoms. Um, and it improves your sleep quality, which again is going to make you feel more able to conquer your day and have sex, right? Which is why, what you're, why you're all here. So if you're not well rested, no woman wants to have sex. It's just, it's just a, ma a fact of life. Um, so um, I often think of a mandatory sleep lecture that I had to go to um, when, I was, when I was in my residency training. And it was always given by the doctor that was kind of, he was kind of older. He was working 120 hours a week when he was in training, which is, is a lot. 
Um, and he was in his mid-20s, and he completely lost his sex drive because he was so sleep-deprived. So it's really important to, to really guard our sleep and make sure we're getting good quality sleep for overall well-being and sexual well-being. All right, so hormone therapy. This is still, I would say, controversial, and most primary care doctors are very guarded about prescribing hormones for women. There was a study that came out over 20 years ago that really kind of put the brakes on hormone therapy, and it kind of made all women a little bit terrified of, of uh, hormone replacement therapy. But all the data before that and what's come after that is really positive for those women that are in that window, or which are the clinical window, which is 10 years from menopause, so usually under age 60, if they're coming in with really bad symptoms, those are the women that actually benefit the most and should be offered estrogen therapy, as long as, again, they don't have any other um, reasons like history of cancer that they wouldn't be eligible for. Um, so those are the women that we really want to try to address. And there are a ton of FDA-approved, convenient ways to take hormones from pills, patches, rings, creams, sprays. I mean, you name it, we've got it. Um, and then for women that have a uterus, we also need to protect the uterine lining, again, through very convenient ways. There's even a combination estrogen progesterone patch, and there's um, an intrauterine device that also can protect the uterus. So there's lots of convenient ways, um, dosings, to get just the right amount um, to relieve the symptoms so that they can return to feeling well, brain fog hopefully lifted, thinking clearly, sleeping well, happy, functional, basically how life was before that transition um, kind of interrupted them. So again, some women feel like literally their life, um, their body was possessed you know, by a foreign, and their, and their family will say that too, like, who are you, and what happened to my, my wife and my loving mom, and et cetera, et cetera. So it really gives them their, their mind and their body back um, to explore all these options. And just, just lastly, there are other supplements for women that, you know, and it's, it's too much of a discussion here, but for women that can't um, have hormones, you know, there's things to protect their bone health, which also is a benefit of estrogen, but if they can't take estrogen, there's calcium and vitamin D, and again, getting... Um, weight-bearing exercise. Those are all really helpful, again, for mind and body. Um, and then, you know, people always, you know, talk about, well, what about those other over-the-counter supplements um, that have some estrogen properties? So those are things like soy and black cohosh that you can get at a, at a um, health food store. Um, and those can work for some women. I just always caution the, about them because they're not FDA-regulated. So what you see sometimes in a bottle isn't always what you get. Um, and you could be getting a little tiny bit or you could be getting a lot. And um, so I just always caution a little bit about um, some of the over-the-counter products. Um, and um, lastly, just um, know, what, know what your symptoms are. Talk to your doctor. It is an important health complaint. And we do have wonderful options to treat it. You don't have to just live and suffer um, through these symptoms. So. And I, do, I just wanted to remind everybody that even if you do have cancer, we have a lot of innovative alternative medications that can help. Um, so, and again, a lot of people that have cancer um, are, are not getting the right information. So if you, some cancers, you can certainly be on hormones. So it's important to see a, a specialist. It's important to get the right information at the right time. And again, cancer patients shouldn't suffer in silence. Hot flashes um, can be debilitating. I treat women that can't function on a day-to-day -day basis without 
either hormones or alternative medications. They can't get through their day. They can't think clearly. Um, so it is impactful. And again, remember, it's not just a hot flash. It is very impactful to women. Uh, it's very impactful to the, uh, their families, their relationships as well. And there's a lot of things that we do have, whether it's hormones or non-hormones, that can help ease um, the burden of hot flashes and the other issues like vaginal dryness as well. Um, safe, effective treatments. And I know we're going to move into that as well. So when these girls go out and they're doing parties, their ordering room is kind of a sacred room. This is a safe environment for women to come in and ask them their, and tell them their deepest, darkest secrets. So I know a lot of times women will come in with the concerns about menopause, vaginal dryness, anxiety, pain during sex, and even women avoiding sex. I, I don't want to do it. Is there anything I can buy that'll just do it for me? <laughs> I'm sure you've got, you hear that, right? The blow yeah. up doll. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what are some of the treatments that they should consider? Well, Patty, I, I could talk the whole hour on this topic <laughs> of dry vagina. I, it's so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and, and it is ours too. And, but honestly, I can learn a lot from you women. And I don't know, where is Mama Mitchell? Where was the woman that was just detailing me about the <laughs> CBD oil <laughs> and the miracle oil? Um, all right, this is a very, very important thing to talk about with women because by three, by three years past menopause, and the average age in America right now is 49.9 years, 50% um, of women will have dry vaginas. Um, the new term for vulvovaginal atrophy is called GSM, and that stands for genitourinary syndrome of menopause. Honestly, Michael and I were in this group of guys that, and gals and leading sexperts, um, who had talked about erectile dysfunction and, and impotence. And impotence is sort of like vulvovaginal atrophy. People don't like those terms. And so they change impotence to ED and vulvovaginal atrophy to GSM. But I must say, even being on that writing group, it was actually probably not the correct term because dry vaginas happen to people who aren't even in menopause. I mean, a common scenario are people who are breastfeeding, and now you know, you're know you supposed to breastfeed till they're five. <laughs> I mean, it gets really dry because the estrogen, I'm, not, I'm, I'm joking about it, I'm very into breastfeeding. <laughs> but the other thing is, are the cancer survivors who are on the aromatase inhibitors and the selective estrogen receptor modules that just dry everything up, obviously prevents cancer, and honestly, you could actually not even have cancer and your doctor tells you to be on this, and they don't care about the dry vagina that you're now having. So it is the, you people who care because you're talking to the women who are really having a lot of problems and they're really suffering from this. And so I know that there are a lot of products, but let's just break it down. Honestly, the gold standard treatment for dry vagina is estrogen, hands down. And there have been a lot of women, particularly those who are afraid of heart disease, I don't want to get a stroke, and they hear about the stuff from the study, that the Women's Health Initiative, and we were a 
he, us at MedStar, Georgetown, in Washington, D.C., we were one of the largest minority recruiters for that trial. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually a co-investigator. I know a lot about the trial. And that was a specific hormone that was taken by mouth that was tried compared to a placebo. What people need to understand is that the estrogen that's FDA formulated for the vagina is not the same thing. And so the black box warnings that you're seeing about estrogen don't apply uh, when you're using it topically. If I were to test your estrogen level at baseline and you use anything that's FDA approved in the vagina and I check it, the estrogen level three months later, you're not gonna see a bump. And there was a study that looked at women seven years, 45,000 women, a corollary of the Women's Health Initiative. Doesn't, doesn't get a lot of press time, Patty, but <laughs> it showed that there is no increased risk for breast cancer, heart disease, uterine cancer, yep. ovarian cancer. So by and large, if you need it, use it and feel comfortable. So that is the gold standard. Um, but there are people who have allergies to certain formulations. There's propylene glycols. And mm -hmm. so there's tablets and there's rings. And there's even a special oral tablet that's just for the vagina because they are allergic to you know, what's in the formulations. So in addition to local estrogens, there's actually a pre-testosterone. We call it a pro-hormone that's been FDA approved. Use it nightly, it's a little suppository. So for some people who can't use estrogen, this may have a little bit of benefit with libido. I think those studies are still ongoing, Michael, but that's another option. And then there, obviously, if you don't use it, you lose it, you know? Mm -hmm. so you, it becomes a vicious cycle. If you're not using it because it hurts so much, then it gets drier and drier. And the reason why we call this genital urinary syndrome of menopause is because it doesn't just affect the genital region, it starts to affect your bladder, your urethra, you get urinary tract infections, you get the discharge. I mean, so the whole goal is to prevent that vagina from becoming the Sahara Desert. <laughs> Nobody and wants that. So, you know, if we look at the guidelines, and there's a menopause society and, and the American College of OBGYN, first line treatment is, is generally non-hormonal, although estrogen is the gold standard. And so those are all of the lotions and potions for the dry vagina, some of which you may have, but many of them are either um, uh, water-based or silicone-based, which is dimethicone. And some of them are oil-based, and you have to be careful with the petroleum products for like latex condoms, because they can break that down and, and that could be a situation. But the bottom line is I think it's important to know what's in the, the ingredients and uh, know what works for you. Some are moisturizers, some are lubricants, some are both moisturizers and lubricants. I feel like going to the kitchen cabinet to grab the Crisco oil, and some people swear by extra virgin olive oil. I don't know if that's the right formula because we need something that's pH balanced. And honestly, understanding acid-base balance and what the pH of the vagina should be, which is 4.5, <laughs> when your pH goes up, that's when bad things start to grow down there. But the bottom line is you guys um, know a lot more about a lot of these products. I sort of understand it on the holistic level about the categories, but I think people can experiment. And one of the things I do want to warn you about, because I know that um, there's a lot of advertisements on this stuff, are some of the added additives. So some things have menthol, some things have warming gels. If you have 
very dry vagina or any type of vulvar skin condition. There's something called lichen sclerosis. I've done a lot of research on this. Patty's funding research to be done on multiple um, on randomized trials on this, which is fantastic because you guys are furthering the science and you wanna, I think that's just how you move the needle and, and do the right thing by women. But be careful sometimes with the, with the warming gels and the peppermint oils um, in people who have uh, severe dryness and some of these um, vulvar conditions. I'm happy to answer questions about this um, because you know, sometimes that can worsen, uh, worsen the situation. Vestibulitis, uh, where there's inflammation of the opening, the vestibule is between the hymen and where the lips start to change color. That's where 80% of the nerves are highly sensitive, the clitoris is in that region, but be careful what you put down there sometimes. Mike. Hey, Sherelle. Um, yeah. you know, Michael is the expert <laughs> on this. I, you defer I, to I you. Do, I do a lot of research on uh, uh, lotions and potions and all strange notions too. Um, you know, and I think it's really <laughs> important does. to kind of understand the difference between um, a moisturizer and a lubricant. So. I usually say moisturizers really maintain the vagina. You've got to use them on a regular basis, independent of sex. Like your skin and, cream. And, and lube is for lovemaking. So again, um, I think that's a good distinction. And you know, building upon what you said about you know, the quick fix in the, uh, in the pantry, you know, I would say some things are better left on your salad because, um, you know, and, and, and I don't want to be, yep. I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback, but I oh, happen to see a lot of these patients who are, I'm from Southern California. So, you know, if anything weird is going to happen, it happens there first. Um, and I've seen a lot of women who, you know, in a pinch, they have no lube, they're using all kinds of things from their pantry and they get really bad infections. Yeah. So for some women, it may Absolutely. be okay but there is other things that are impactful. And one thing you were talking about, remember there's over 300 medications that cause vaginal dryness, even in young women. And I know we're gonna talk about some of these things like birth control pills. Some young women have, have vaginal dryness and they don't know why. And they really, they blame themselves. They say, well, I'm not getting aroused. There's something wrong with me. Right. And again, it or may- Or their partner could blame right. them. <laughs> yeah, and very often it's just, you need a, a change of medication. Another big culprit that we see is all the antihistamines. Yeah. And for, for COVID-19, people were not sleeping well, so they were taking Benadryl every single night. And then they were coming in with sexual pain syndromes and we kind of, have to kind of, I would say you have to sometimes be a, a sexual medicine detective mm -hmm. to kind of find out what's the cause. And very often you see that, that the partners are blaming them or, or women will blame themselves because they are having this condition and it's really an external factor. So just keep that in mind when you're, when you're speaking with your As you partner. can see, we can talk forever yeah. on this. But you know what, what we want to do is answer this question very quickly because we want the audience I do. to have that time to ask their questions. Sure. So if you would start lining up behind the microphones so we'll be ready to go right to your questions, but very quickly, Kathleen, what is vaginismus and how can dilators and pelvic floor therapy coupled with counseling help this condition? Uh, well, vaginismus is the involuntary contraction or spasm of the pelvic floor muscles that surround the vagina. Um, it may prevent or create a very uncomfortable situation with any vaginal penetration, whether it's through sexual intercourse, 
um, gynecological exams, or even inserting a tampon. Um, one of the things that we have found to be very helpful in treating vaginismus, and it's something that um, is very useful because it's um, something that you can do at home, um, is the use of vaginal dilators. Um, there was a recent study that was just published that um, found that um, the use of vaginal di dilators for vaginismus reduced pain from an 8.3 out of 10 to a 1.3. So it was very significant. Um, we did a podcast on vaginal dilators, so I encourage you to, to look up that podcast. It's gonna give you a lot of information that really, right now, we don't have time to go through. But the main thing that I really want to stress about the vaginal dilators, you are not stretching the vagina when you're doing it for vaginismus. You're releasing the pelvic floor muscles. Um, I have patients that come to me and they think of that term stretch and they um, associate it with a painful experience. So they're braced and their, their muscles are already <laughs> over contracted with the thought of that this is going to be um, more pain. Um, it's not. Um, we utilize it as a method of um, retraining the muscle to relax with touch or with penetration. Um, and the beauty of the dilators is that you have full control over it. You're able to utilize it in the way that best works for you. So take a look at that podcast. We go into a little bit more detail. All right. You guys are amazing. I know we could talk forever. So, Cheryl, we're going to start with your group. Can you say who you are and what your, what your question? So I'm the one you called Mama Milty. <laughs> um, I'm encountering quite a few women who are dealing with uh, thyroid issues and the significant changes that that does to your body. Can you answer for me if that also plays a role in these changes and difficulties that they're experiencing as well with their um, sex drive? I mean, obviously confidence with the changes in the body and that becomes an issue, but does it also play a role in some of like vaginal dryness and any of the other things yeah. that so it was thyroid issues. Uh, so thyroid, hypothyroid is, uh, not only does it lead to like metabolism issues and weight gain issues, um, there is a hormone called thyrotropin releasing hormone, which is very similar to like areas that simulate dopamine. And those kinds of issue, issues, when, all, when your metabolism is all out of whack, can really affect your libido. Um, I would also say that, um, you know, with the weight gain and um, the metabolism in general, I think you could probably relate. I don't know no, any I, direct correlation with uh, vaginal dryness, but for sure, desire. Yep. I, I agree. And, and um, the treatment is thyroid hormone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. So thyroid is, is called the master of hormones. And when that's out of whack, again, you're not sleeping well, you're fatigued, et cetera. So that, again, sort of indirectly relates to having a low sexual um, desire and arousal. And I looked at uh, the women that came to my center for a sexual health complaint, about 15% of them left with a diagnosis of thyroid dysfunction. Yeah. So it's very common to have the associated issues. And I think the important thing to remember is very often 
there is not just one problem in isolation. So we're talking about desire, arousal, pain. It's not uncommon to have a mixture of sexual problems, like, and they lead, one leads to another, right? So if you're not interested, um, you're not initiating, you're not having sex, you were talking about use it or lose it, you're yeah, not you having it. it, then you get a, a dry vagina, you know, or, or what have you, you get breast cancer, you have vaginal dryness, yeah. you're impacted, you're not interested, you have pain, and you know, pain is the biggest issue, so you gotta overcome that as well. But if your thyroid is overactive or underactive, you can have abnormal bleeding, and heavy bleeding as well. Um, you can also have changes in, in sexual self-esteem. You gain weight, you're nauseous, you are you know, having you know, frequent bowel movements. So there's a lot of other issues, changes in here. So um, mm. thyroid, screening for thyroid is probably you know, essential. Most women don't take care of themselves and they're not going to the getting you know, wellness exams, which is really important. And thyroid should be checked regularly for yeah. women, especially over 40. I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, Suzanne, can you have your person? So what are some of the non-hormonal options for cancer thrivers to use for menopause? The non-cancer? Non-hormonal cancer. Non-hormonal use for for cancer, cancer survivors. survivors for hot flashes so for all of the horrible things okay. <laughs> so there there is a variety of different medications and we kind of tailor that so you know some of the uh, the medications that are in the class of antidepressants um, we give them in ultra low doses and they can certainly help uh, we can there's other medications in the evening which is really more of a nerve medicine if sometimes after cancer you have neuropathy so you can use that medication in the evening. Um, we also, I, I also refer people all the time for, um, for complementary and alternative medicine. We talked about acupuncture. I have an acupuncture and libido program, acupuncture and hot flashes, um, you know, things like rhythmic breathing, uh, mindfulness, also super important. But there are a variety of different medications. Even one of the medications that treats urinary incontinence has been studied and is helpful. So sometimes you're treating two things uh, at the same time. So there is a lot of medications that are available in the class, antidepressants, uh, bladder drugs, uh, even nerve medication as well. And, and, and if you look at the guidelines put out by the North American Menopause Society for Cancer Survivors, uh, you know, there's a tiered program, but if you are on a medication for cancer prevention, you've gone through your initial treatment and radiation, et cetera, and you're having a lot of, of dryness, one of the things they can switch if you're on something is to something called tamoxifen, mm. which is not just antiestrogen to the breast, but it's actually proestrogen in the vagina. So there's, there's a lot of ways that we need to talk about that, but you just need to tell your doctor, because we're, we're not gonna ask, Tr trust me. And mm -hmm. colleges aren't gonna ask, are you having any other issues with your uh, pelvic floor, vagina, et cetera? Oh. We're just gonna be focusing on, it's like you, know, you have one complaint, the cancer. Um, but that is a guideline that they should be very aware, well aware of. And, and there are also um, women's health physical therapists that specialize in cancer rehabilitation. Lymphedema. Um, yeah. I am a cancer survivor or thriver. I prefer the term thriver. <laughs> um, and definitely, I um, you know um, have experienced many of the symptoms that we discussed today. Um, 
I also have a blood clotting disorder, so um, estrogen is a kind of a no for me. Um, so I actually relied a lot on my um, women's health oncologist. Um, she helped me learn how to do meditation to reduce anxiety. Um, she um, set up a, an excellent weight bearing and weight resistance program so that I can reduce um, my risk of osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. um, and I use vaginal moisturizers daily. <laughs> and it works very well. So, um, so just remember, there's also another avenue of the multidisciplinary support team. And, um, you know, it may not necessarily be something that they automatically go to, but don't be afraid to ask about it. <laughs> Suzanne? Oh, no. oh. But first, I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you for speaking so poignantly on cancer treatment and cancer patients. Um, really. Uh, four months post-treatment and having... <laughs> No, others have had it so much worse than me, but having all of those symptoms already, and it's so hard to find a practitioner who will have those conversations, depending on where you are. Yeah. And even if you bring your symptoms to light, they just sort of nod, make a note, and move on. Um, so the fact that you're out there doing the work is so much appreciated. So my question is super quick. You were talking about the studies that show uh, no correlation between the vaginal estrogen creams and the blood circulation. Could we have, please have that link? You want the reference? Yes, please. Oh, yes. It's Carolyn Crandall, um, and it was published like in 2017. Um, mm -hmm. And it was the Women's Health Initiative Observational Center. You know, I'll send her the link, yeah. and we'll put it on the PBF website Much for you guys Much appreciated. Thank share. you. There you go. Uh, yeah, it's important. And if, and if I might add, usually um, if you're a survivor and you get the approval from your oncologist and your gynecologist or other healthcare provider recommends vaginal estrogen, generally the oncologist will defer and say it's okay if, if it is okay. So there are opportunities to work in, co in collaboration with your oncologist about um, vaginal estrogen. But you know, I, 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 it should never be black and white. You can use this for a very short time just to get things going and then you yourself can keep yeah. it going. But, and it's safe and we work hand in hand uh, with your team um, so that we can do that. It, I, it does take a team. Yeah. And, and it's important to recognize that you know, this is part of what we're talking about, of self-care. Sometimes you have to be your best advocate. Mm -hmm. And just because the person sitting across the table yeah. may be a doctor, a physician assistant, um, doesn't necessarily mean they have all the answers. And, you know, I uh, consult with oncologists across the country uh, about cancer survivorship. Um, and very often they, again, you know, I hear this every day. Before I got on the plane to come here, I saw a cancer survivor and she said, she spoke to her oncologist and the oncologist said, you should just be thankful you're alive. And oh. her answer was, I'm alive, but I'm dead down there. And this is really mm -hmm. affecting my life, affecting my marriage, affecting yeah. the way I live. 
And it so ties into the slang, li live alive, and I think it's really important. There are, there are clinicians, there's networks, there are, we have all those resources for you at the PBF, where to find the right people. We don't have all the answers, mm -hmm. but we know where to get them. And I think that's an important, uh, important thing. You may not have all the answers about cancer or libido or what have you, but you know where to get help. And there are people like us all over the country, wherever you're from, we will be able to uh, help you help your clients as well. I am really sorry. We only have time for two more questions. So here's what I'm gonna tell you that we, we will be able to do is right where those two globes are in the back, there's a whole table. You can submit your questions, and I promise you, they will get answered. You can see how passionate these doctors are about making sure that you've got the right information. So whoever's next, what's your question? Hi, my name is Leah Witz. Um, I have a lot of questions from my clients about female ejaculation, about oh. whether or not there is urine there. I have a lot of confusion in my clients. So I was wondering if you could give me the information so I can give my clients and customers the right info about that. All I'll, right. I'll, Go can ahead. I take a stab? Okay. <laughs> I'm sitting back for this. Um, <laughs> we, we, we actually discussed making this a podcast in and of itself because there is quite a bit of um, controversy, so I'll just share a little bit of it. So there's, there are little tiny glands next to the urethra that um, lubricate the urethra and release a similar type substance as, as a male ejaculate releases. Um, but remember, these glands are super tiny, and on, even on imaging, it's really hard to find these glands, whereas a male has really large glands that make a bunch of the ejaculate, right? Prostate glands, seminal glands, all these are glands that make just like, you know, a teaspoon of fluid for the ejaculate. So this is my humble opinion that those little tiny glands that we can't find on imaging probably aren't the source of female ejaculation. Dr. Iglesia and I see a lot of women that have a lot of leakage at the time of orgasm um, that is related to urinary incontinence. Um, because again, with orgasm, the bladder can contract um, and release um, a lot of fluid, which is urine. So there's a large organ there that has a lot of fluid um, that leaks easily with um, orgasm and just sometimes with thrusting. Um, so in, in my opinion, the only imaging and source of this large fluid that could be released and sprayed is likely urine. Um, but again, there is a little bit of controversy on this topic, and I'll defer no. to the panel here on their thoughts. Perfectly answered. <laughs> there we go. It's a really common question, yeah. and some people don't like the answer, because it's, but it's okay, and it, again, back to just knowing your body, and, and it's okay, and I, this book, um, come as you are, everything is hotness, okay? Your body's hotness, your body's function is hotness, even if it's not working well, it's hotness, okay? Just, it's, it's okay, and if you leak a little bit, it's okay. Your partner's okay with it, I promise. Yeah. Um, but we can, we can fix it if, if you want if it body. fixed, right. So now you have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Yeah, my name is Heidi, and my question is, can you, do you think it'd be a beneficial idea to take the brain boost with the um, testosterone to help premenopausal women? 
hormone? Testosterone for menopausal. The new product. For brain boost. Oh, brain boost. Oh, the yes, two definitely. Um, you know, I, I have a published article on complementary and alternative medicine alluding to my, you know, home in Southern California. It, it, there are, you know, the land of the tree huggers and everything. Um, you know, I think I am very, my approach to sexuality, to cancer survivorship is really this approach from conservative to more aggressive. And I really believe that, you know, high quality products, there are, there is a lot of evidence to support their use. I mean, you know, tamoxifen, which is, a, is now a technically a drug, uh, it was found in nature in, from, from a tree, tree bark. So I really believe that um, they're very, very helpful. I think you just have to, to make sure that you get the supportive data. So there's some good websites, we'll make those available, good resources for the ingredients and know what's in it. And yeah. I definitely think that's really important. I, um, I personally take a lot of vitamins uh, and supplements because I think they are helpful. Um, but again, I think it's also very important to have a well-balanced diet, exercise, sleep, as we sleep. were talking and um, to take care of yourself. One thing we didn't mention, which I think is really important, uh, vitamin D. So, you know, um, talking about self-care, everybody in the room, please make sure you got your pap smear, your mammo. Uh, if you didn't during COVID, you put it off, don't put it off anymore. It's really important to take care of yourself. Vitamin D essential, it uh, decreases cancer recurrence. If by some fluke you do get COVID, you know that uh, vitamin D deficiency in COVID is a problem. It helps your vagina and it will help your bones. So if you don't want to go outside and get some 10 minutes of sun, uh, take, make sure your vitamin D level is uh, appropriate. Okay. Dr. Ricard, thank you for sharing yes. with us what, what self-care really means. What does it mean to you? I know we're running out of time, so yes, I'm going to try to make it brief, but um, <clears throat> know yourself, know what works for you, explore all the resources on the, the PBF um, resource website, including the Sexual Anatomy 101. I think that's going to really be helpful for your clients. Um, look in the mirror, you know, look down there, encourage your clients to look down there. A lot of our patients have never looked between their legs, so know what's down there, okay, and know you what feels good. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's called the vagina. It's not down there. You know, women, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, women, women say it hurts down there. And I'm like, where your knees, your ankles, your toes. No, it's the vagina. You can say it and know what the vagina is. You know, um, it, the, the vagina and the vulva and clitoris. You can say those words. Yeah, it's OK. Thank you, Dr. Krishna. Really quick, funny story. My daughter, when she was really little, I told her all the parts, and we're walking in the mall, and she screamed really loud, Mom, you're hurting my vagina! You know? <laughs> so just be cautious. Um, but yes, um, thank you for that. So again, I think you might have heard the wall of vaginas. It's actually wall of vulvas. There's a big um, artist that does that. So the term vagina and vulva often gets um, taken the wrong way and misused. So please know the anatomy and encourage your clients to know it as well. Um, Make sure you communicate with your partner um, and encourage your clients to do the same. The sexiest thing a woman can do is tell their partner what feels good and what they need to do. So make sure you empower them. Um, we also, again, give you permission to explore, use lotions, potions, toys, tools, okay, whatever it needs, 
whatever you need to get the right stimulation to the right place. Um, and then, as Dr. Critchman already has alluded to, just take good care of yourself. Again, sleep is, the, for me, the most important thing. Um, there's a great book called Why We Sleep. I highly encourage you to, to read it. it. It will make you value your sleep um, highly. Um, it's the most important thing we can do. And then, you know, get more time in the bedroom, sleep, and sex. Who couldn't get more of things in the bedroom? So do those things in the bedroom. I agree. What is self-care? For you. Well, at this point, Patty, self-care is self-preservation <laughs> because yeah. it's been a year and I think we do have to say no to things that don't matter so much. We need to not put ourselves up with all the media images, like I'll never compare myself to Cher. I think you are the vision of growing old gracefully. <laughs> We gotta take care of each other, take care, take care of our mental health. Yes. Um, right now, and um, I just uh, really happy to be. I hope you all get home safely, and we all get through this together. So. Do you have um, Yes. Um, what I want to really encourage you is to seek out a pelvic health therapist in your community. We can utilize your products um, with our patients to the benefit of your client and our patients. Um, if you go to the Patty Brisbane Foundation um, website, there's a directory of um, pelvic floor physical therapists. Um, but um, you know that interaction and that relationship that you can have with the pelvic floor um, physical therapist with educating your client and um, helping the um, pelvic floor therapists understand what you have and what you can um, help with your client um, is invaluable. I always appreciate when my patient comes in and says they're working with a pure romance consultant um, because I know that you know what products you have and that um, I can utilize those products to the benefit of my patient. So please, you know, develop that relationship. So. Final notes here. What I want to say to all of you who have been gala champions, thank you so much for signing up for the gala this year. I can't wait to see how you celebrate women's sexual health. And we will share it on our site and with others. And for those of you who had the gala last year, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because we are the only ones and I, I'm not making this up, that are giving back to research when, in regards to women's sexual health. It's Absolutely. Absolutely. And Significant. And I, I have brought on the best of the best. Not me. They are making the decision on how this money is being spent. And you know what? I want to thank all of you because I couldn't. We couldn't do it without each and every one of you. It's so important, not just for your health, but you got to remember, down the road, it's your, it's your daughters, your great-granddaughters, generations after. This research is going to help so many. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank each and every one of you. I... It's such an honor to have each and every one of you here. And I just, I thank you so much for everything that you bring to the table to help others and to help these girls 
carried the message forward. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right.